Hello, everyone, and welcome back to today's episode on Mobius Ministries Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Season 19, Episode 195, and today we are going to be diving back into the book of 1 Peter. We're going to look at Chapter 3 today. I remember when I first prepared this message, I want to say a few weeks ago, and um, my past few episodes I have been working on episodes two, three, four weeks ahead just because of how my schedule has been lately. Um, And when I prepared this, I was really excited to preach on this because I've heard some scriptures in here taken out of context um, and it breaks my heart. So we're going to dive super deep into this and uh, there may be some things that are going to be very hard to hear, but that's okay. Jesus spoke the truth in grace and he was full of truth and grace. So, um, here on Mobius Ministries, I, with the help of the Holy Spirit, do my best to interpret scripture, help you grow in your intimacy with the Lord, and to encourage you to remain steadfast through tough seasons as we also continue to be prepared for the second coming of Christ. If you are new to my podcast, welcome. God loves you, and to prove it, he sent... You know what? I think I need to edit that, because I'm assuming the person that's new is not a follower of Christ. So, I'm going to go off script right now for this. If you're new to my podcast and you don't know Jesus, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And part of that plan, part of it, not all of it, because we don't really ever know all of it. We know bits and pieces through, through, through seasons. And um, Jesus died for your sins. Um, we broke God's law and we continue to do it generation after generation. And no one could keep what God demanded us to continue to keep. And so Jesus came to fulfill what had to be done and that happened through Adam and Eve thousands of years ago um, where they ate the apple in the garden. Eve did, and then uh, Adam did the same thing. And um, that's when sin happened. And sin in the, in the, in the Greek means to, to miss the mark. And um, I, I think that's a, such a spot-on definition because that's exactly what it is. And if you uh, have been following the Holy Spirit and have been listening to my podcast for a while, welcome back. I pray that God will grow your intimacy um, with the Holy Spirit after today's episode. Um, okay, guys. So I'm actually house-sitting for that same person, my friend Andrew, that I house-sitted for a few weeks ago when I recorded um, one of my episodes here. I don't remember which one it was, but... Um, and uh, yep, the two dogs are right here. So if they need to go outside, just forgive me. I'm gonna have to let them outside. <laughs> and uh, then we wanna come back in. They're very needy. So please bear with me today. Um, and I want to I want to say two more things and we'll, we'll open in prayer. We'll start on 1 Peter 3. Um, my friend Andrew, the person I'm house sitting for, and his wife, Aliza. Um, Aliza's daughter is really going through some big issues in life right now. I'm gonna get, not, get, not gonna get particular into what that exactly is. Um, but there's, see there, there's, there's the dog, there's the dog. Um, honey, she's literally like, I have my MacBook set up in front of me and the microphone's attached to the table and Kai is, is his name. <laughs> Honey. So uh, her name is Lily, the daughter. So guys, please be praying for her. Um, she's pretty lost in her faith and she used to believe in the Lord and they're not really sure where she's at now. So please be praying. Um, even as we open up in prayer right now, just pray for her and intercede and uh, pray that God would come to her in dreams and just pray whatever the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart. Uh, so I, I really ask you that because these two people, they love Jesus and... They are solely committed to the Lord. Um, if you'd like to know the song that's playing, that was just playing, it was called Power to Believe. Well, by um, the Dream Academy. And the song playing right now is actually a new one that I kind of wanted to just play. It's only like a three-minute song, but it's called Mirage by M83. I'm going to let the dogs out real quick. Okay, let's go outside. Come on. You guys stay out here. Okay, um, so I want to finish with this, and I just want to ask for your guys' prayers. Um, you guys have heard me talk a 
about my father wounds. If you haven't, then I'm telling you now. Um, but today, my mental health has just kind of plummeted. Um, my dad was what you would call a helicopter parent and would just constantly be looking over my shoulder and just would never let me really like be on my own. And today, all day, I just felt like it was happening again. And recently I've discovered that I think I struggle with minor PTSD. And um, I have been praying to the Lord and the number one thing I've been praying like all day to God is I just feel helpless and I don't know what to do. Uh, so I just really ask for your prayers, you guys. It's been really hard. Um, I'm continuing to really draw near to the Lord and, and intimacy and draw near to His Word and really get vulnerable and pour out my heart to the Lord. And I've definitely felt God's presence today. It hasn't been like, like I haven't felt His presence or anything, but I haven't necessarily heard anything, but I've definitely felt His presence. So I just really ask for your prayers. I'm continuing to pray for you guys. I love you guys so much. Even though I don't know who you are, I love you because I'm called to do that. That's a demand by Jesus, and I must obey that. And, um, yeah, so let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for today, a day where we get to be more prepared for your second coming. Father, I just ask that you strengthen me in today's episode. I lay open all my sins. I confess everything to you, Lord. I just pray that you'd help me say the right words. I pray that the teaching today would invigorate people's hearts. I just pray for rest, Lord. I pray that we would open up our hearts. We confess our sins, Lord, whether it's pride, lust, arrogance, being lukewarm, feeling like we are in need of nothing, or any type of idolatry, Lord, we just confess it. We ask that you forgive us because of your grace, and Lord, I just pray that the words that I'm going to preach today would just be right and true and that you would uh, hold me up, Father, and please and, uh, strengthen my heart to not walk into people-pleasing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, and the verse of the day is going to be Isaiah 64, 4. I'm going to search that up real quick. And this is... Um, Gosh, this is honestly, this is, this is um, one of my favorite verses. In the NIV it says, Since ancient times no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And um, there's a verse in Romans. I'm trying to find it. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna paraphrase here. I can't find it, but um, Paul actually quotes Isaiah 64:4. But if you look at the last word here, where it says "who acts on behalf of those who wait for him," that word "wait," um, Paul uses the word "love" actually, and I think that can be another accurate translation uh, for that word. And that may be the right word translated from like Hebrew language to Greek language because we're looking at Isaiah, which is Hebrew language, a little bit of Aramaic, same thing with, uh, you can find some Aramaic in the New Testament and then the New Testament is um, Greek, most of it, and then there's a little bit of Aramaic. Um, but Paul says, I think it's, um, I forget where it's at, but I know it's in Romans and Paul quotes exactly right here. 
what Seven Isaiah, and it's, it's so, so beautiful. And so for those of you that are in a season of waiting, I know I am. I'm, I'm in the toughest season of waiting I've ever been in. But uh, it's really invigorating a lot of humility and being formed in the image of Christ. Um, finding joy in my salvation, knowing that I'll be in heaven one day. Like that, that one right there has really, I have felt deeply in my heart. Having faith and confidence in that. Um, okay, if you're a Spotify listener, there is a question posted below you can answer if you have a smartphone about the study on 1 Peter 2. And I don't know what the question is going to be right now, but you know what? I should probably be preparing that beforehand. So go ahead and answer the question if you want um, after, the, after the sermon. Um, and if you have any questions or comments about today's sermon, you can email me at josiahmobius12 at yahoo.com. And today we will be reading out of the ESV version, beloved. The song that's playing right now is called This is Bethel by Waldner Worship. And, uh, so here we go. Last chapter, we, we did chapter 2. Or that's not, or that's, yeah, last chapter. Um, so again, beloved, it is important to know there are no chapters or verses in Peter's mind here. In Peter's mind here. It is a continued thought. So at the end of chapter 2, just so we can get some context, Peter was talking about submitting to authority. Peter is going to continue on the topic of submission, but he is going to go on a different subject of being a subject of something. Let me say that again in case it didn't make any sense. Peter is going to go on a different subject of being a subject to something. We have seen this type of preaching layout where the teacher explains, teacher or what I mean by that is apostle, what we read in New Testament scripture, the epistles from the apostles, they explain something and then they use stories, parables, or metaphorical things to understand the context better, the, the message they're trying to get. So let's read the last few verses of what we read in chapter 2 to understand better. This is uh, verses 18 through 25 out of the ESV. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful, mind, when, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Beloved, I just want to kind of encapture on that verse real quick. Think about what God, the creator of the whole universe, is saying when you suffer unjustly. And he's saying, that's my son. That's my daughter. And they're doing the right thing in my eyes. Because I, meaning God, get to call what's right and what's wrong, not man. Verse 21 for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on a tree. Tree. You can also see translate into cross in today's English language and what we read in the Bible. Uh, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And again, that Greek word, it's the word iamai. I think I stated when we did 1 Peter 2 that I thought it was pronounced elmai with an L, but it's pronounced iamai for the Greek. 25, verse 25, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'm actually, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm sitting in a, I'm sitting in a couch and my lower back is hurting, so I'm gonna. Oh man, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. So, 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 1, likewise, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word, meaning your speech, but by 
the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So we can see Peter starts with the words likewise, which means exactly my point that this is a continued thought on submission, but looking at a submit, looking at submission through marriage now. It's like having the right teleos, again, that Greek word for perfect, uh, maturity, discipline, work, or completeness in every situation. Uh, there's a footnote for the word subject, and through the Amplified Version, it reads, there are both um, military and sporting analogies associated with the meaning of the word submit. It can refer to the act of falling in line, in other words, each soldier reporting to his proper place, or each team member respecting how the team works, or in other words, acknowledging and participating in his assigned position. Here's something else that I got from blueletterbible.com for 1 Peter 3. The teaching about submission was especially relevant to a first century married woman who had begun to follow Jesus. She would ask questions such as, such as, should I leave my husband or should I change my behavior towards him? Or should I assume a superior position to him because, I am, because now I am in Jesus? In the culture of the ancient world, it was almost unthinkable for a wife to adopt to a different religion than her husband. Christian women who came to Jesus before their husbands needed instruction. That's kind of to understand... Um, contextually where we're standing when we read 1 Peter 3 in that timing. Go back to the verse subject for verse 1. We saw Peter use the same word in chapter 2 about submitting to government authority. Um, so both words, it's both the same Greek word, hupatasso, hupatasso. And again, it's used as a verb, which would make sense. But the Amplified Version explains deeper what it means for a wife to submit to her husband. Now, this is my own personal belief. I have seen this scripture not interpreted right. I'm actually going to, so I have my aunt on, on hand Bible right here. I'm going to read 1 Peter 3 and see what my, how my on hand Bible Okay, here it is. This is what it means. Subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to husbands and their accountability to God and so partnering with them. When you read it that way, it's going to make a lot of husbands kind of go, oh, um, I think I'm not understanding what submit really means. And so here I am to call you to repent if you are a husband and you are listening to my podcast and you're doing that if I love you I have to tell you what's right the word of God tells you to understand what that word submit really means so again this is my own personal belief but I have seen the scripture not interpreted right this verse about wives submitting to their husbands it's been taken out of context what this verse means in the Greek and I'm going to read it again just in case is subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect. So it says not as inferior, but, which means it's not both, but it's, it's, it's not this, it's that. That's what it's saying. Not as an inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to husbands and their accountability to God, and so partnering with them. Because God is their ultimate judge. God is the only one who can truly convict husbands of their sin if they are treating their wives wrongly and sinfully. This is all I'm going to say to men who are single, men who have Christian marriages, men who want to have a Christian marriage one day. Please do not use this verse to manipulate what you want for any, self, any sexual desire or any selfish intent. That is so prideful. And you're treating your, your spouse like an object. And this is, so this is something that, um, that I got from, there's this podcast I listen to called The Amen Podcast, and it's with um, Alex and Logan Lonnie Wilson. They do such a good job. I love them so much. I've donated on uh, one occasion to their ministry. 
I donate, I donate to many different ministries for tithing. And he talked about how when a guy watches porn, he's not actually loving that woman. He's hating her. And so when you think about it that way, if you act in the same way towards your wife, and that doesn't mean, what I mean by that is you're just treating them like an object. You're, you're using them for your own selfish ambition and sinful desire. You hate them. You don't love them. And I, can't, I cannot sit here and think that that is not true because it is. So Peter goes on in verse three. I want to I wanna, I wanna go back and go off note for verses for verses verse one and two, where it says, "Wives, be subject to your own husbands." And then it says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word, but by conduct of their wives. So what what, what Peter is saying is when you are being a subject, if 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 you're a wife and you're married to a guy who loves the Lord and you guys are both equally yoked, where Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, I think it might be 2 Corinthians, anyway. And a wife who is also in a Christian marriage and is not submitting to her husband, when she sees the wife submitting to the, to the, to the husband, it says that she's going to be won over by that. Because he says, he says, they may be won without a word. It's not about telling them, but by, by a conduct of their wives. And so I think this is where, when you read it that way, it really puts you in a place of humility because we want to go over there and confront them. And you think like, well, how do we ponder on Galatians 6.1? What if someone sins there and you have to restore them gently? You know, I think that may just be the husband's job. And I think... I don't know. That's just a kind of a question that came up in my head. Because you guys have known we've talked about Galatians 6.1. And if we haven't, then that's fine. So, like, remember that. If, if, you know, if, if you're a woman and you're listening here on my podcast and you want to get married one day, submit to your husband's. And I know that's like that. It's really calling you into a place of humility, but you have to understand what an honor that is in the eyes of the Almighty God, in the eyes of Jesus, the one who took away our sins. I hope that makes sense. Let's move on to verse three because Peter is going to dive deeper. It's like I said, Peter, not Paul, because <laughs> we're so used to saying Paul's name. So it says, "Do not let your adorning be external." braiding of your hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with a with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in god's sight is very precious so okay i want to make one thing oh i do i do have i do have water by the way just to let you guys know I want to make one thing clear on verses 3 through 4, what we just read. I believe um, I have taken this out of context in the past and have used this to help women prepare herself for marriage. That's not what group of ladies this is talking towards. It's talking towards married women. I have used this verse to tell certain women, hey, seek this, pray this verse over yourself and prepare yourself for marriage. I have told women that before who... I've been, I mean, deep friends with, and this isn't just people that I've like met on a one-time occasion that I've given them the scripture and start discipling right then and there. As much as that may happen, I think that would be more appropriate with it between a guy and a guy. But I've told this to women that like, I haven't necessarily discipled, but they've come to me for help and I've just helped them. And so I have directed people the wrong way. Part of me thinks that is okay, but I would rather be safe than sorry and say, What I mean by it's okay is interpreting that verse 
as prepare yourself for marriage. Part of me thinks that's okay, but because I know this in context now, I would rather uh, be safe, be, better be safe than sorry and say what I may be teaching here for this particular subject may be wrong. I'd rather be safe than sorry and keep it in context instead of continuing to say, people who want, women who want to be wives, pray this verse over yourself. I'd rather point you in the right direction to once you become a wife, then start putting it into practice. Now, if you want to pray like, oh Lord, help me. This, see, this is where I get stuck and I'm like, maybe it's okay to point women. And maybe that's like over spirituality or like man-made religion that I'm coming up, coming up with right now. But, um, yeah, sorry. I just kind of went on a tangent there, but I hope that makes sense. Let's go back to verses one through two. But I want to just take part of what is fully said here. So don't worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it all in context. I'm going to elaborate again on those, on that verse one through two again. Let's go back to verse one and two. Where it says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word, but by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. We have heard all the sayings of actions speak louder than words. James says, faith without works is dead. John says, let us not love one another with just words, but action as well. Peter is essentially saying the same thing. We have seen situations of people who do not know Jesus uh, they come up, who do not know Jesus, come up to people who do and say, how do you have such? And then it could be like faith, patience, peace, or, or whatever. They can give some kind of example. Then we let the Holy Spirit move right then and there. There is a verse here in Peter's words about always being ready to give account on why you have such a hope that you do in the salvation brought through Christ. I'm paraphrasing that verse, of course, but... Going back on a little bit on verses 1 through 2, Peter essentially says, wives. By the way you treat your husbands, it may be a chance to bring an unbeliever to repentance. Or even someone who, like I said, someone who's following Christ, and they're not acting in a manner worthy of the gospel towards their husband, and lead them to repentance. That all you have to do is just submit to your husband's, just do that. That's all Peter is saying. And God will take care of the rest. God will bring the conviction. They will see the way that you act, and it can give a chance for the Holy Spirit to move. Let's dive deeper into 1 Peter 3. Peter explains to these wives, do not be focused. Do not be so focused, one, on your... My notes aren't making sense, sorry. Do not be focused on just your external uh, appearance. Now, I have taught on this previously, and I believe I am right about what I'm about to say. But I've seen and heard pastors use that verse and add their own words of, if you are doing those things, such as putting on nice clothes, wearing pretty jewelry, doing your hair in a certain way, that you are sinning. And to the beloved daughter of God, I want you to realize Peter never said anything about that. I encourage you to reject that wholeheartedly. What Peter is saying here, I'm just going to like, in context, I'm just going to like say that real freaking loud. Reject that wholeheartedly. What Peter is saying here is just don't let it be your only focus. That it is okay to dress and look that way. Just know it is more important to remember how you act towards your husband because it can allow the Holy Spirit to show another, it can allow the Holy Spirit to show other wives a possible need of repentance in their marriage and it glorifies God the evermore. And so like to, this is the verse I recently found to elaborate more on that. I think it's second. First Timothy 4, 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness, spiritual training, is of value in everything and in every way since it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. 
the reason I say that verse is that Paul's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm connecting that with like what Peter says, it's okay to dress this way, just don't let it be your focus. And so Paul says like, yeah, physical, in, what does it say? Physical training or, or working out, what we say in today's age, is of some value. Paul doesn't say it's a sin, even though we should check our motives when we are working out. And, and if we are stepping into pride, we need to confess that to the Lord and repent. And I know for me, one of the things that I always do when I work out is when I'm, when I'm lifting weights, as I'm lifting weights, I say, Lord, I need you. And it's very humbling, and I'm continuing, I will continue to put that into practice. Peter explains deeper into why he says is to be true and goes back to the Old Testament in Genesis. Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Going back to the near, going back near the end of verse 5 where it says uh, submitting, Peter uses the same Greek word that we see here used before, hupatasso. Hupatasso is the same Greek word. If you'd like to know how to spell this Greek word, in case you're taking notes, it is H-Y-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. Spell that one more time. H-Y-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. This next note is from Blue Letter Bible for David Guzik's study guide on this chapter. Of course, submission in marriage follows the same principles as, as submission in, another, in other spheres. We submit to God appointed, we submit to God's appointed authority as our obligation before God unless the authority directs us to sin. In that case, it is right to obey God rather than men. Um, you can see that in Acts 4, 19 through 20. I'm actually reading through Acts right now. It's a really good book. These next few verses are vital. I have seen pastors uses, only use verse 1 through 6 for a message, but they never keep the men accountable. This is a pride issue and at this point. And for me especially, I would speculate if the pastor has some type of secret sin in their lives. Or, I mean, they lack repentance in a particular sin that scripture is clear on to be a sin. So verse 7, likewise, so it's a continued thought. He's, he's keeping everyone accountable. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not. What's the Greek word for not? It's probably not be hindered. Uh, the footnote for verse 7 where it says, uh, heirs with you. I'm going to read that again real quick. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, some manuscripts say, since you are joint heirs. And then the Greek word for the word honor, where we see where it says showing honor to the woman, it's the Greek word time. Time. This word is used as a feminine noun, and it means this is, this is the one word for honor that I don't know how to pronounce, so I'm going to have my MacBook say it. Honor. I guess it's how do you say honor. I'm going to look it up. It means high respect and great esteem. Um, so honor, respect which belongs or is shown to one. Yeah, okay, I have the definition right below. I didn't even read it. Honor means high respect or great esteem. If you'd like to know how to spell this Greek word, it's actually spelt like our English word today, time, T-I-M-E. At the beginning of verse 7 where it says, in an understanding way, understanding there in the Greek is the word uh, gnosis, gnosis. You have to keep the G silent, so I was trying to pronounce it right. Uh, if you'd like to know how to spell this Greek word, it's G-N-O. S-I-S. G-N-O-S-I-S. 
this word is used as a feminine noun, and it was, I was shocked because I thought it would be used as a verb, but it's not. And it means to have moral wisdom, such as in seeing in right living. Now, I'm going to go off note for a second here, but when I look at that definition, it seems like Proverbs 4, I'm not sure what verse, but this is a verse that I've been thinking about and I've been praying over unbelievers. It says that the person who walks in darkness, they don't know. I'm paraphrasing there, but they don't know they're walking in darkness. Which means, if this definition is, it means to have moral wisdom, such as in seeing a right living. If you're living in darkness, you don't know you're living in darkness because you, it says right here, such as seen in right living. You can't live the right way if you don't know that you're walking in darkness. Which means, now that you know, now you don't have the right to not repent from, you know, any type of sin. Um, and this is where, this is a verse that is really true and I think it's really not taken with the right heart. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come to reveal people's sin. I'm paraphrasing there, but... He says, and that they will see that they are in need of a savior. And people think the Holy Spirit is just this divine encounter of crying. Yeah, that, that could very well, without a doubt, be the Holy Spirit. But he also comes to reveal people's sin. And you may think that's harsh, but when you really look at it closely, it's very, it's so loving. He is showing to them what is the truth. If you think loving someone and continuing to lie to them, then your definition of love is twisted and demonic and it's just blatantly wrong. Nothing could be further from, that, from, from the truth. Okay, now Peter says that if you dishonor your wives, your prayers will be hindered. And so that Greek word hindered is the word ekapta, ekapta. This word is used as a verb. Whoa. Not just a noun. It's, it's an action. Your prayers will not go into action. And the definition is for that word ekapta, is to impede opens course by cutting off his way or hinder. And if you'd like to know how to spell this Greek word, it's E-G-K-O-P-T-O. Spell that one more time. E-G-K-O-P-T-O. So I want to speak to men who are married or want to be married one day. If this doesn't scare you, I'm not sure what will. Yeah, I'm hard on guys. The Bible is hard on guys. If you don't honor your wives, God will not hear your prayers. Now, it is, it's not a time to then be stuck. We can see in Scripture when we mess up, we're called to repent, confess, and ask God to change our hearts in the midst of all that. It shows humility, and James says that God will give grace to that person, the willing humble. It breaks my heart when I see pastors elaborate on verses 1 through 6, but then do not keep the men accountable. It is a lack of the fear of the Lord on that pastor. Isaiah 66, God says that I am looking for someone who will tremble at my words, and there is a lack of that when pastors do this. And not even pastors, but when the husband quotes 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, to bash their wives and not let their repentance have its fruit in their lives for the responsibility that they're supposed to have as, as husbands. And here's what I realized when I did this study back in, on December 4th. If pastors do that, or even just Christians who aren't pastors teaching the same, teaching the same to other Christians, you are doing what James says in chapter 2 to not do. Having favoritism 
and partiality. These next statements uh, going forward are back to what I got from Blue to the Bible through uh, David Guzik. Verse 7, giving honor. A godly husband knows how to make his wife feel honored. Though she submits to him, he takes care that she does not feel like she is an employee or under a tyrant. And there's this, um, I could quote this one verse where Jesus says, we don't give and expect bad, but that'd be out of context because Jesus is actually talking about money there. So I'm not going to go on record for that and teach you that to be the truth. But husbands or men that want to be married one day, if you are doing something for your wife to get something back, that's not Christ-like. It's not. And I know that's hard to hear, but they don't owe you. Well, actually, hang on. Sorry. They do owe you what Peter says, because what Peter's saying is actually the Holy Spirit talking according to 2 Timothy 3.16. But we're called to forgive. And we're called to um, help people and meet them where they're at. I remember, so, um, So if you're listening to this right now, please make sure you listen to the second part. I was in the car earlier with um, Andrew and Lisa because they flew. And uh, then I took the car back home here. And you know, they, they told me, you know, what are you going to do when, when, I forget the context we were speaking in. He said, you know, what, what are you going to do when your wife is not putting in the work that you need? And actually, okay, now I remember, what we, now I remember the context. We were talking about what I'm going to talk about here in my podcast today, which is First Peter 3. And Aliza, she asked me, she goes, what are you going to do when your wife can't do what the Bible tells her to do? I sat there. Looking back, I can see it was the Holy Spirit speaking through me because I didn't even have a thought like, oh my gosh, what would I do? But that looking back, I just started talking. And this is what I said. And I really think it was the Holy Spirit. Because I didn't even think about it. It just came out. Is go to her and say, I want to help you. I want to meet you where you're at. What can I do to help you? Because Christian marriages, they, you know... Can get can end up in divorce and it breaks God's heart. Sorry, I'm kind of getting stuck right now. Um, we when you when you make your vows, it says through sickness and health, through rich and poor, being sad, being happy, through it all, I am here with you. And then you have the guts. To walk away? I watched this small clip by Billy Graham today on YouTube, and it was that there's nowhere in the Bible that will tell you to seek happiness and pursue happiness and find and find happiness. There's nowhere. But it's mostly about seeking God's will for our life and knowing that if we continue to do that, we will find ourselves in eternal life in the end. And so that's, so I, and Aliza was just, she, I just kind of saw, because I was sitting in the backseat, Andrew's driving, Aliza's in shotgun, and she just nodded her head. And I knew that was the Holy Spirit speaking through me. And so I say that humbly, of course, the Holy Spirit revealed that to me, but, and just say, how can I help you? I want to make this work. I love you. Maybe she just doesn't know, and then maybe I'll just like wash her feet, put lotion on her feet, and then just brush her hair. I'm serious. It, it is a call to serve and not be served. People 
marriages fail because they go in it to be served and for the, 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 the wife or the husband to stroke their pride. And that is so wrong. So I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna read these next, these last few notes, and then we're gonna start uh, in verse eight for part two, where it says, giving honor to the wife, when it's, when it's talking about husbands, giving honor to the wife, the word is the, the word in the ancient Greek word for the wife is a rare word, meaning for literally the feminine one. It suggests that the woman's feminine nature should prompt the husband to honor her. This was a radical teaching in the, in the world Peter lived in. In that ancient culture, a husband had absolute rights over his wife, and the wife had virtually no rights in marriage. In the Roman world, if a man caught his wife in an act of adultery, he could kill her on the spot. But if a wife caught her husband in adultery, I'm adding in adultery because I'm assuming that's what it means, she could not do anything against him. All the duties and obligations in marriage were put on the wife. Peter's radical teaching is that the husband has God-ordained duties and obligations towards his wife. And that is why Paul says, do not be conformed by the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that verse has to, must, it, it plays out in so many different variations where we can see it here in marriage. In my marriage, in what ways am I being conformed by the ways of this world? In my um, relationships with people, how am I being conformed by the ways of this world? In my, in the way that I talk, what ways am I being conformed by the ways of this world? In the movies that I watch, the music I listen to, um, are you watching porn? And I don't say that shamefully, beloved. I don't want to make a seem like I'm doing that, but you know, I want to call out the gold in you. And then where it says, uh, as to the weaker vessel, in the context, weaker speaks of the woman's relative physical weakness in comparison to men. That's what that means. Men aren't necessarily stronger spiritually than women, but they are generally stronger physically as Peter brought in the idea of the woman's feminine nature with the words, the wife, because we just went through that, he continues in appreciating the feminine nature and how a husband should respond to it. And if Peter didn't have that attitude, then I don't think God, I don't think Jesus would have appointed him to be an apostle. Therefore, a godly husband recognizes whenever whatever limitations his wife has physically and he does not expect more from her than is appropriate and kind. The next two notes are the most interesting to me personally when, when I came across it. So the part where it says that your prayers may not be hindered, the failure to live as a godly husband as a spirit, has a spiritual consequences. It can't and it will hinder your prayer life. Some have thought Peter has in mind here the prayers that husbands and wives pray together. But since he addresses husbands only and because he says your prayers, he refers to the prayers of the husband in general. So let me reiterate that. Let me try and make sense there. Some interpreters have interpreted when it says your prayers some have interpreted that to be the wife and the husband's prayers. But if we read it in context and we kind of look at what your really means, I think if it was both, I think Peter would have said both. Because there's a big difference between you both and your. There's a big difference. And with how complex Greek language is, I don't think Peter would have just thrown the word your in there, in the Greek. So I hope that makes sense. So I don't think it's talking about the wife because I have a tough time understanding how the, like if the wife is submitting to the husband and the husband is not being gentle and understanding, why is she 
to suffer for that unjustly. And then we read previously, but that's talking about You know, if you think about it that way, if the wife is submitting herself to her husband, but the husband is not respecting her in the right way, how would that be fair for God to then say, oh, well, because he's not doing his part, I'm not going to listen to your prayers, wife. No, no, I don't think God would do that. That is, I think that's, no, no. And I have, and I'm not changing my answer on that. I'm firm. So, okay, let's close in prayer, and then we'll resume in part two here on Mobius Ministries. Father, I thank you for how much we've just learned in just seven verses. Lord, how rich is your word. It is a light unto our path. Help us to rest in your love for us, Father. To know what your Son did for us. Father, I pray as we dive into part two that the words I, that I said in part one would be pleasing towards you and honorable and true and that it would go deeply into the listener's heart and that they would not only just be a hearer but a doer of the word in Jesus' name. All right, beloved, I will see you in part two in our study through 1 Peter chapter 3.